Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Songwriters on Process podcast. My name is Benno Papari, and since 2010, I've run the Songwriters on Process website, where you can find more than 200 conversations with songwriters about the creative process. I'm not here to talk about tour stories, band drama, how a band got its name, or favorite foods. My goal is to treat songwriters as writers, plain and simple. This is an intelligent conversation about the writing process between two writers. And today's interview is with Emily Scott Robinson. So Emily and I did this interview back in October of 2021 and before her debut album, uh, Fantastic. Uh, oh my God, that voice. Uh, American. The album is called American Siren. It came out October 29th on Oh Boy Records. It is her debut album and I love it. But uh, we talked a lot about, and you should also, by the way, watch the YouTube version. Uh, we also did this. The video version is up on YouTube on the Songwriters on Process channel. But we talked a lot about flow state. And this is the quote she said that really struck with me. Uh, stuck with me. She said, a ritual creates neural pathways that in turn create positive, positive experiences, which lead to the ideal flow state for songwriting. And for Emily, that ideal flow state involves, yes, cheap bank pens and vacuum cleaners. And how, again, it all has to do with the ritual, what gives you confidence, what gives you comfort. And she's a pen and paper person with her lyrics and she loves the smoothness. What she told me is the smoothness of those cheap ballpoint pens from her local bank that she finds irresistible. And when she writes with them, the words just flow. So if you do see, by the way, if you do see Emily in your local bank branch when she's on tour, uh, she may be doing more than just a bank tra transaction. Now to the vacuum cleaner. Uh, she's not the first person to, t to tell me this. Yola also told me uh, in our interview that she gets a lot of song ideas while vacuuming. It's not the vacuum or the sound of the vacuum that generates the ideas. It's the repetitive and monotonous movement that helps her brain focus on the writing process. Just like any repetitive movement, like walking, running, or, or as uh, uh, Lauren Mayberry from churches told me, cutting vegetables. And when your brain can engage in an activity that involves minimal higher order thinking, it can, then, it can use that space for creativity. And that's what, you know, a lot of songwriters have told me over the past uh, over the past couple of years, being at home so much, a lot of those monotonous activities that they certainly weren't doing when they were on tour, now they're home and they're doing them. Um, she also likes a cheap, beat-up notebook that she doesn't mind destroying, a candle, and a cup of coffee. And those things all create her uh, the neural pathways and the positive experiences. So enjoy. We had a lot of fun talking, as you'll hear or as you'll see if you watch the video. And here it is, my interview with Emily Scott Robinson. And don't forget, her debut album, American Siren, came out in October uh, 2021 on Oh Boy Records. And pick it up because it is fantastic. And the first question that I always start with is, outside of writing, songwriting, how much writing are you doing? Do you write in journals? Do you do other types of writing, stuff like that? I do. I, I was, I read the artist's way like eight years ago where she talks a lot about it's, it's Julia Cameron talks about kind of clearing the channel first thing in the morning with morning pages. Um, and morning pages are just three pages of kind of stream of consciousness, get whatever you want down on paper, just bleh. And I, I don't do them religiously, um, but I do like to write in my journal just kind of first thing in the morning and get out how I'm feeling so it's not taking up a bunch of brain space. Um, 
And yeah, so I, I journal quite a bit. Yeah. What made you start that to begin with? Um, I, I've always been a journaler. Um, and I think I was, I started it because people talked, other writers talked about how good it was for them, um, and how healthy it felt and how it kind of cleared the way for actual creative work. And I stuck with it more or less as a practice because I'd seen that it had really worked for me. I just have so much narrative going on in my head every day about a bunch of things that don't need to have that much real estate in my brain. (laughs) And so if I can get them down on paper, just, you know, like preoccupations or some interaction that happened or um, something I'm excited about, just the kind of free matter that floats around, just nice to get it down on paper and kind of get it out. Um, and then that just really helps me to, to feel less distracted if I'm sitting down to actually write. So do these things, how often do you go back? Because I, if I hear you correctly, this is a way to kind of clear your head for yeah. the other stuff. But how often do those journal, does that journal writing ever give you song ideas? You know, it's um, it actually generates song ideas pretty often. And I don't usually go back through the morning pages because then what I take from that day is I'll, I'll be writing and I'll get this kind of song idea. And then I'll take that song idea to my actual write, my songwriting journal and start fleshing it out there um, rather than like fleshing it out in my song in my, um, morning pages. And, um, but it's definitely happened before, um, where I'll, where something from maybe a dream or some idea that I just woke up with rolling around in my head will come out. And that's another purpose of the morning pages is, is to, um, I, I love the way, have you ever read, have you read big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No, I have not. It's this, it's a book on creativity and writing, and it's really easy to read. It's really pretty delightful, but she talks about the idea of, of ideas, whether that's stories or novels or characters or songs kind of just floating out in the air in our, in our world creatively. And sometimes they, they land next to you or you can kind of grab them out of the ether. And I sometimes feel like I'm walking through a, like a, like, um, if you guys have cottonwood trees back on the East coast, um, we have these cottonwood trees in Colorado and, um, every June, all their, their sport, like their little floaty white, it looks like cotton floating through the air and it's terrible for allergies, but, but it's a good metaphor. It's a good metaphor because there's just like little floaty white things floating through the air. And sometimes I just sort of feel like I'm walking through that creatively. And I just go like, oh, here's one. And here's one. And the morning pages is a way of pulling it out of the air and just getting it down, like pulling it to grant to earth and, um, and, and grabbing onto idea an idea. And then, and then, so if I get an idea, I'll take it to my other journal. Like I'll, drink my coffee and eat my food and then, and then go, okay, I need to spend a few hours, like an hour or two working on this. And if I get that idea, I'll take it to my songwriting journal or my notebook and just start to flesh it out, um, and see what's actually there. And sometimes there's not a whole lot there. It doesn't really, there's not much 
body behind the idea. Um, and then sometimes I'm kind of surprised by how much I can flesh out an idea. So how do you know when there's not much there? What, what makes, is there a time, you know, at what point do you go, it's not happening or it's just not working? How do you know when it's not there? You know, I usually, it's usually when I really run out of things to put in the song. Um, and it, it would probably help to say that most of the time when I'm writing a song, I write from either an idea for a title that I've gotten or an idea for a chorus or an idea for a story. Like yeah. it's usually one of the three. Um, and, uh, and so, um, I, I usually do a couple pages of free writing of sensory kind of free writing, um, taste, smell, sights, describe the scene, you know, all of those pretty basic writing practices, but tapping into all the senses. Um, and if it's a story, I'll start to like flesh out characters. If it's a, you know, a title ideal, I'll start to flesh out like what could work for this title. For example, on my new record, I have this song, things you learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, and I, this is, this is a good example actually uh, of this idea. Um, I, I had written the chorus and the chorus is things you learn the hard way. Some lessons you can't teach until you're living through them. The wisdom's out of reach things you learn the hard way. And I loved the chorus. I was so excited about that. Cause like, this is great. I love this chorus. It's so good. And that came first. The chorus came <laughs> and first. And that came first. Okay. Yeah. And I was so excited about it. And then I started writing <laughs> and I started writing from my own experiences and I'm 34. So I had definitely had some things I've learned the hard way, but I, I could just immediately tell Ben that I did not have the depth of personal experience to give that song the gravitas that I wanted it to have. I wanted it to feel like some, I don't know, like, like somebody, I wanted it to span many years and have a lot of, have some lightness and have a lot of depth. And so I actually, I, I got to this point where I was like, okay, well, if I'm just drawing from my own life, I don't have enough to make this song what I want it to be. And so I actually got on Facebook and I asked, I, Facebook is kind of a dumpster fire for a lot of things, but in this specific moment, it was really beautiful. I just typed into my personal Facebook page. What are some things you learned the hard way? Question mark. I'm working on a song, dot, dot, dot. And I got over 200 comments. I can imagine. Yeah. It was like, Ben, it was, <laughs> I could have written an entire album worth of songs from the I'm comments sure. I got. It was amazing. I, and some of them were very funny and some were totally heartbreaking. And, um, and then I got a little overwhelmed cause I was like, oh my God, I really, I want to use all these, but I obviously cannot, right. <laughs> I have to pick and choose and, and, and kind of treat it lightly in a way, um, so that I'm not hitting people too hard with this song. Um, and so every line in that song is taken either from one of those comments or from something I learned the hard way personally. Um, and so that was it. That was an example where I like, how do I know when I've, when I've like hit a wall with a song, I just, I just sit there and usually it's, I've written one or two pages of stuff and I just sit there and it kind of just the, just runs dry. Like my ideas yeah. run dry. And I go, huh? Okay. Well, I'll keep this. Maybe one day I'll finish this. And then I just kind of move on. 
how often do those ideas come to you where you wake up and you go, it's a line or a chorus or a melody or something like that? I, it, I feel very consistently like my most creative time is first thing in the morning um, as I'm kind of, kind of coming out of that dream space. And I think it's because once my brain has a chance to launch into the like, like necessities of the day and whatever the hell I have on my calendar that I need to do. Um, it sort of, it just sort of edges out that mysterious, like weird kind of juicy, um, creative space. And so I do really like to just kind of slide out of bed in the morning, make a cup of coffee, sit down with my journal and just before doing really anything, just kind of explore what's there. Um, I, I, I find, I would say that generally speaking, I find that most of my song ideas come to me when I'm in this flow state where I'm doing something that doesn't require much brain power, like vacuuming, (laughs) washing my dishes on a drive, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) walking or hiking. Um, when I'm kind of when I've got something pretty and an easy task and my mind can just wander, that's when I get my song ideas for the most part that, and sometimes people will say something and they'll just say a sentence and I'll go, Oh, that's a song. That's amazing. Right. I love that. The thing you mentioned about, and, and I love to talk about this because the role of movement to the songwriting process. And I think I can categorize this as two types of movement. There's the movement where something else is doing the moving for you, whether it's the car or the plane or the train. And then there's the repetitive movements. Now I I've heard running, walking, hiking, cooking, gardening. I've never heard vacuuming before. So thank you for vacuuming. Cause that's the first time I've ever heard vacuuming. But I think there's something about the white noise with vacuuming. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I've never heard vacuuming. And that's why I was like, there's another one to add to the list of things that people are doing. And whether it's the repetitive element where your mind can focus just on, you know, the ideas and you're doing something that requires no energy whatsoever, um, you know, like the cooking and the gardening or the vacuuming where it's so rote, you don't have to think about it. But then there are the times when songwriters have whole theories about the rhythm of the swinging of the limbs and the cadence gives them um, beat ideas. And I interviewed uh, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam about six months ago. And he told me that he has this whole theory about the swinging of the limbs and the cadence, how that introduces song ideas. So I'd love to explore that with you because I think it's so fascinating, um, you know, why we think those ideas, those activities give us song ideas. Oh, that's, that's amazing about yeah. the cadence and um and because I and because as a songwriter I never originally worked from a place of starting with rhythm although I think to me honestly like rhythm is the is the special sauce of all of it yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's the it's the root of everything of of what we do um and um uh, rhythm and groove but um uh Gosh, I I think what it does, I, I've read about this a little bit and on a scientific level, it occupies like, it gives our, our sort of um, 
sheepdog brain or monkey brain, the thing that like is kind of swinging back and forth, it gives it something really simple to do so that you're yeah. able to distract it. And then your, your um, subconscious can, can just work, just can kind of like move. I'm describing it in a very non-scientific way, but I've, I've read a couple different articles about this over the years. And I think there's even a book, something about flow or flow state that talks a lot about this and about um, creativity in this way. Um, and, and sort of when those aha moments come. Yeah. But why is that better than uh, what I'm interested in? Uh, why do, why is that better than doing nothing? Like why is vacuuming um, better than sitting and doing nothing? Like, wouldn't it make sense that, Anything that you're doing and let now I've heard songwriters tell me they've gotten ideas from uh, going over covered bridges in upstate New York and going over the bumps gives them a beat. I've heard turn signals give song ideas from turn signals. I've heard hiking the cadence of the walk, yeah. uh, you know, gives people. But but it would still but all of those things you would think your mind is still occupied doing something. So I, I'm actually, and we clearly don't know the answer, but why is that better than doing nothing where you're only focused on the writing? I, I'm not asking you to answer that. If you have a theory, no, no. I'm all for it. But. This is so amazing. This is such an amazing conversation. And I think for me, I have like a couple of ideas about this. I think on a kind of a theoretical level, music, well, I will say that on a functional level, when I just sit down and I'm just quiet and I'm writing, um, it becomes very mental. It's all about my brain and kind of my intelligence um, and the ideas that I have. So it becomes a really heady process. And that's that's important to carve out some time. But music itself is so experiential and, and physical and tactile that I think that the movement gives us this um, more natural thing to work from when we're creating melody or when we're feeling out the rhythm of words. And it's maybe a more um, sort of a more integrated and whole way to, to receive song ideas and to start to work them. Um, I find that when I write songs from this kind of head on perspective um, as like a mental game, I can sometimes fall into the trap of being of worrying too much about the prettiness of the words or, or the witty, the prettiness or the wittiness of all of it. Um, and that that music is a whole body experience for all of us. And so that I think that the movement gives us something to work from. Um, and I also think that um, I have, I have always felt like songs and creative ideas like this songs and writing exist in, sort of only exist in relationship to uh, two other things. They don't exist in a vacuum. I realize now I'm getting really esoteric, but um, my songs have a certain life that I give to them. And then they take on all this extra energetic meaning and, and just energy when I perform them and when people hear them. And it creates more, it gives the song more gravity. And so... Um, I sometimes think that when we just sit down and we're like, okay, I just need stillness and quiet um, and I'm going to write, then we're, we're taking away all of the extra sensory, all of the sensory experiences that the song will be in relationship to. And so I actually think it makes it a little bit harder. Sometimes it's always part of the writing process. Sitting yeah. down for me to write 
always part of the writing process. It has never not been. Um, and, and ultimately you do have to sit down and figure out, I, I spend a lot of time with the rhyming dictionary and, 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 um, and, and like editing and changing things around. But, um, I always think, I think that because music is such a whole body experience and, and something that draws on so many different things, melody, rhythm, ideas, energy, that I believe those practices or those, you know, walking, hiking, whatever can actually just help make it flow more easily, especially Mm. when it comes to rhythm and melody. Yeah. Is there an ideal place where you tend to get your best writing done time of day? And I mean, down to like the chair, because I know there are certain places in the house (laughs) where I, certain places I write, certain places I revise. Mm -hmm. um, And, and I'm very careful about for whatever reason it's happened. Well, it, it happened, it worked there once it might as well, might as well try it again. So do you have, what is the, if you have, what is there a ritual to that process or an ideal environment where you tend to get your best writing done? I mean, like down to the, maybe things you have to have with you, whether it's a, you know, I don't know, a candle or a cup of coffee or time of day, yeah. all that stuff. So have that. Oh yeah. I mean, I love, I love having, I usually write at home. Um, and, um, and usually in the morning or midday, um, sometimes in the afternoon, um, I never write at night. I never get anything good done at night. Songwriting wise, (laughs) I'm just too tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love to have a candle lit. Um, it just, that just feels good to me. And I love to have a cup of coffee. I love to write in notebooks that don't feel precious to me. Um, I like just, I like college ruled notebooks. Like oh, this five. is the stuff I love. So yes. another question I was going to ask you, because I could do a whole website dedicated to how particular are, how particular songwriters are to the types of pens, the color of ink, the brand of pen down to the color of the notebook, all that stuff. So, cause again, it's, it's people feel like it's, it's confidence. So yeah. So do you have a so let's talk about those down to the writing utensils and the paper. You go ahead. College line you were saying, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to have a pen. I hate writing with pencils. I hate okay. it, I hate it, I hate it. <laughs> um, and I, I have to have paper that I feel, you know, people are, are, are always buying like moleskin notebooks and stuff. And, yeah. and I just need paper that I feel like is cheap, that I can really work things out on and tear things out and scratch shit out and um, paper that I feel like I can waste. That's so <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. It's, um, it, I really just don't, I actually don't feel comfortable wasting or spending a lot of, cause I just, I write a lot of stuff and it usually takes me, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 pages of writing, sometimes 20 to work out a song and to edit things and rewrite them. And I'm just most comfortable with a college. I like college rules because I like the thin lines. Um, any like black or blue pen. Um, I just needed to be able to write well, and it's gotta be ballpoint because I write. So I just write so quickly that if it's, um, if it's an ink, uh, like a fountain pen, yeah. um, it smears. <laughs> And and so um, it's so funny. There's a bank in our town called Alpine Bank and they have the best pins. 
and they're free. So you can just get as many as you want whenever you walk in there. And I, I swear that like, I just have so many of these and they just write really perfectly. They're just like a big, like pen, like a clicky pen. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the way you're talking. It's like this, you, yeah. you talk about these pens with such affinity, but right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the stuff that makes a difference to people. I yeah. mean, it, it for whatever reason, whether it's superstition or confidence or just because it's easy to write with. Um, and I think you know, we, cre- we create these neural pathways when we have positive, positive experiences and, and we create these little rituals around writing. And therefore, every time we return to them, that ritual helps us connect in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why when people say, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. I can write anywhere. I'm like, I'm sure you can. But what's the what's the disadvantage of knowing where you do it the best? So do song ideas come to you then? Because I think you mentioned walking. Um, do you ever notice? And I, I, you may not know the answer to this, but do you notice that those songs that have come to you when you are, you know, locomoting, shall we say, are different from the ones when you're at home in the chair? Yeah, I would say that oftentimes the song ideas that come to me when I'm moving have um, have better <laughs> better melody and better rhythm. Yeah. Um, I I remember when I first started writing. I really went at it from this kind of, again, this like head on perspective where I just sit down and make myself sit and write. And on my first album, Magnolia Queen, um, one of the things that I noticed about those songs is that they're all really tight and locked in rhythm wise. And there's not much groove or flow to the songs um, rhythmically. And that was just something that I just had to get um, a little bit more comfortable with, uh, in songwriting myself. And once I became more comfortable and I had kind of just like a a lot more ease around it and I didn't feel so, I, I think when you first start writing and you probably can relate to this, Ben, you're so just, you have so much to say and you're so hungry to get it out and you want it to be so good and you attach a lot of weight to it. And then the more you do it, the freer you begin to feel with it. And, and that's how I've noticed that I've noticed myself freeing up my, my rhythm and my melodies, um, and being more exploratory and creative, the further I go in my career. Um, and you know, some of my songs still have pretty traditional, now like traditional um, time signatures and pretty traditional beats. But um, yeah, I think that the songs that I've written when I was hiking or walking felt just like they had more kind of uh, organic movement to them. Yeah, Yeah. I could see that. I think that's, that would make sense. Yeah. When you are, you know, I love the storytelling in your songs. And when you're writing about when you're singing about something that happened to you, um, do you need distance to be able to write about those events? Can you write about them right afterwards? I mean, I always tell the story, but Hemingway famously said he could never write about Paris when he was in Paris. He he needed distance. Um, So when you're writing about those events or emotion, do you need distance from it? You know, whether it's emotional distance or, you know, actual time, or is it better to write about it in the immediacy of it? I have found that 
um, I need less distance from an experience now to write about it. I guess it depends on the experience. Um, and that I often will just write down some pretty salient things in my writing journal about the physical experience of what I'm going through in that moment. Um, for example, on the new record, um, I have a song called hometown hero, which is about my cousin who, um, who died by suicide. He was a uh, veteran and that weekend, everything in that song, um, all the images in that song came from the weekend that I flew to Michigan to be with our family for his service after he died. And, um, I remember that weekend feeling so present and so tapped in because that's what grief in that moment does, does to everybody, yeah. or at least did to me. Um, and that I wrote, I, I just, I just was like, I'm not ready to write a song about this. I, but I need, I felt this urgency that I needed to get down the images that I was, that I was seeing, um, and the experience of it, the physical experience, the memories I wanted to get it down because I knew I would write about it at some point. And the, 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 um, the chorus of the song talks about his service. Um, and we, he, his service was on all saints day and that's when we buried him. And, um, we, I flew in on Halloween and it was really rainy and really dark and really moody, which felt appropriate. And then we woke up the day of his funeral and it was like the most beautiful fall day. And it was like the saddest day I'd ever experienced. And I just, the sharpness of that juxtaposition of this perfect blue skyed Michigan fall day with all these gorgeous leaves and all of us just dressed in black and like the trumpet playing taps over like his casket with the flag draped over his casket. It just was seared into my memory. And I was like, Emily, write this down. And I, mm-hmm. and I came and I came back to that once I was ready to write about it. This uh, he passed away in October, 2019. I wrote the song in April of 2020. So actually, um, that was pretty soon now that I think about it. And it felt like it was right on the cusp of being too soon for me, but I also felt it coming and I felt like I'm ready to write this. Um, when it came to like on my last album, I have a song called the dress that, um, is about my experience as a sexual assault survivor. Yeah. That took me years to write. Yeah, I'm sure. It took me years to even feel comfortable writing about it and exploring my own memories of it. And then another like three or four years to just like finish it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do think that I need less time now. I think I'm able to explore things in a safer way um, and, and kind of write about them. But um, yeah, I, I usually... Usually, I usually can't write about something right as it's happening to me. It's usually at least a couple months of processing time. Yeah. All right, last question. Yeah. I find that songwriters are voracious readers. Yes. I fully expect this to be a great answer given our conversation. How much reading do you get to do? Who do you like to read? Who are your favorite authors, favorite genres, stuff like that? 
stack of like six library books right now. I knew you would. I just, I had this feeling. I knew I I was not, I was not expecting to hear you. I don't read. I knew that was not coming. So yeah. Um, Okay. I love fiction. I love storytelling. Um, It has to be well-written fiction of which there's no, there, um, there's no lack of great fiction. Um, I joined a a book club that sends me a book a month too. And I have the local library. Um, the book club is actually run by Cheryl Strayed. (laughs) Wow. Yes, (laughs) It's on, it's on, it's through this app called, I'm, I promise this is not sponsored. I just, it was advertised to me in my Instagram feed and I signed up. (laughs) Um, it's called literati. Uh, I've heard of it, but I got to check that out because I love her. She's great. She's amazing. And she, it's a, they send you a book a month and she picks it. And then she, um, she like, uh, manages the discussion about it on the app. Um, and I mainly just like to have somebody tell me what to read, what's good. (laughs) And so, um, I just got a book, uh, last month's book was a book called the salt path, which was actually not fiction. Have you heard of this? No. Um, it's by a Welsh author named Rainer Wynne, um, and she and her husband, um, when I read the back of it, I was like, oh God, this is too sad. I'm not going to be able to read this. I, I just need an escape. But I read it. It was wonderful. Um, she and her husband lose their farm in Wales, and he's diagnosed with a terminal neurological disease. Oh, and they like lose everything, and they go hike the coastal path on the Southwest coast of England, which is sort of like an Appalachian trail type of thing. Um, and they just use the last of their money to buy packs and sleeping bags in a tent and like stock up on food and they go. And it's amazing. Wow. It's so good. I will not tell you how it ends, yeah. but it's, it was so good. And then right now um, I'm reading a book that Cheryl Strayed <laughs> picked for a book club called um the final revival of opal and nev and it's a it's a totally fictional um uh book by a a young very talented um writer named donnie walton and it's about uh these like two fictional characters in the music business and their interactions with like race Hmm. and music industry and it's just it's really well written it's great um so, but generally speaking, I really love fiction. Um, I love stories that just suck me right in. And um, I, yeah, I, I read, I read a lot. Wait, so when you go to the library, how do you decide what to pick? I usually just go straight to the new fiction, new oh, okay. section. And I just start opening jackets and reading the descriptions and going like, and then I'll, I will always flip to a chapter and start reading a chapter and decide if the writing is good enough <laughs> because like I can, you That's know great. what I mean? Like I, I just have to, it just, it's like, I can get a sense for it pretty quickly. You know yeah. what I mean? I have a PhD in English. So of course you understand. Um, and so I do like a little sample reading and, um, you know, I picked up this book called, um, uh, God, what am I? I, I just, i it's called the, I can't even see it right now. I can't see the jacket cover, but yeah, I just have like, I just love fiction. I just like it. it it's, it's nice to lose myself. Um, I mean, some of the classics that I have read over and over again, um, I love Isabel Allende. 
Yeah. I always read anything that Isabella Allende comes out with. Um, and she writes a book a year. She's got this ritual. She's on track every year. She writes a book <laughs> or That's a novel, uh, usually a novel. Um, and her characters are always so wonderful. And, and her writing is so amazing. I speak Spanish, um, but her, I can't, I can't really make it through her books in Spanish because it's too, uh, they're, it's just too dense for me. She's it's, I speak conversational Spanish. I yeah. have a Spanish lit degree, but, um, it just takes me too time, too much time. <laughs> so I always read the English translations, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I love Isabella Allende. She's one of my favorite authors. Um, I love Cheryl Strayed. There's so many writers that I love and I, <laughs> I, I love the Brontes. Yeah. <laughs> Fluttering Heights and um, some of those classics. I grew up reading a lot. I was a book, I was a bookworm as a kid. Um, and so, um, and in fact, actually my, our local librarian just came across Jeff Tweedy's book about songwriting and sent me a picture and said, Hey, have you read this book? Um, I, I think it's called how to write one song. <laughs> Right. Um, and uh, she sent me a picture of it and I said, no, I haven't. And she said, I'm going to put it on the shelf for you. So I have to go pick it up today. <laughs> that is so nice. And that's it for the latest episode of Songwriters on Process. Don't forget, you can find all of my interviews with over 200 songwriters on my Songwriters on Process website at songwritersonprocess.com going all the way back to 2010. You can read them, watch them or listen to them. So until next time, thanks for listening.